there's an obvious tension in the crypto world between decentralization and centralization. Of course, Bitcoin was a reaction against the power of the entrenched banking systems in a move toward individual economic empowerment. The essential element of blockchain technology is a distributed ledger. So it's a reasonable desire for those who care about the technology to want the scale tipped towards decentralization. It's also undeniable that some centralization often proves useful when scaling and building trust. But living within the tension between decentralization and centralization may be the key to empowering individual people by providing them with economic access. Manish Gupta, the EVP of engineering at Coinbase, makes this case that Coinbase is equipped to democratize the crypto economy. I joined Google when it was tiny. It was just 200 people. And I saw it grow from where it was at the time to 100,000 plus people in the company. Google has always been about this very long-term vision and mission about democratizing information. I see strong parallels to that in Coinbase. It's a very long-term mission about democratizing finance by building this open financial system and increasing economic freedom. I feel Google played a big part in not only evolving, but accelerating the adoption of the internet of information. And Coinbase similarly, at this point, has the opportunity and I would say responsibility of evolving and accelerating the adoption of the internet of value. With an already broad reach and potential for even more growth, Coinbase finds itself in an extremely unique position as a trusted centralized institution creating access for decentralized products while being committed to more decentralization across the company. On this episode of IT Visionaries, Manish discusses how Coinbase is reinvesting in the promise of decentralization by focusing on a decentralized workforce, products, and the way it builds on the blockchain. He also explains that Coinbase is creating opportunities for developers to build upon its work, as well as an application marketplace so that developers can speedily make secure apps and then push them out to Coinbase's immense user base. Welcome, everyone, to another episode of IT Visionaries. And today we have a special guest, the EVP of engineering at Coinbase, Manish Gupta. Manish, welcome to the show. Thank you, Albert. It's a pleasure to be here. Yes. And, you know, we do this with all of our guests, no matter how big the company you work for is, but we have to do it just in case. If for someone who does not know what Coinbase is, tell us what is Coinbase and what does it do? So maybe I should start with the original idea of Coinbase. So it started in uh, 2012 with the radical idea that anyone, anywhere should be able to easily and securely send and receive Bitcoin, the first crypto asset. So we actually started to build the most trusted and easiest to use platform for accessing Bitcoin and the broader economy, broader crypto economy. Our mission has evolved from there since, Albert. So now our mission is to increase economic freedom in the world. And the way we do that is by building an open financial system. And there is a multi-pronged strategy behind it. And there is lots to be done. If you think about it, we are in the very early days, how people are accessing the crypto economy and the open financial system. And once people have access to the open financial system that can really help with their own livelihood, they have access to 
all the financial services that crypto economy has to offer, and that can really up-level them, they can uplift them from otherwise not having access to all the banking capabilities in today's financial system. So our job is to bring the power of crypto economy in everybody's hands. I love it. And just so you know, in the past, we've had people on mission talk about how crypto is actually fundamentally changing the way they live. People from different countries. Uh, I remember one of our guests was from Venezuela and he was talking about how the Venezuelan government, as we know it, overproduces currency and has devalued currency. So it actually punishes saving. Whether or not the United States producing all these trillions of bills is good for society or not, I'll let anyone else debate that. But what's not debatable is if you have just saved your cash, that's a problem, right? The cash is constantly being made. It's just being created out of thin air, of course, exactly. which devalues the individual piece of cash. Give me an idea of what drew you to this, because you are a newer member of Coinbase. I am newer. I like to say that I'm new to Bitcoin. I am a Coinbase customer since 2017. We already talked about that before we got started here. But what drew you to this concept? Because you were working on some pretty cool stuff with Lyft, helping people travel everywhere independently. But this is a similar concept, but a little, a lot different. I was curious, what drew you to joining Coinbase to pursue this mission? So at Lyft, I was uh, working on an amazing mission as well, Albert. Uh, this was to like build the world's best transportation. However, COVID had hit Lyft really hard. Yeah. Transportation came to a complete full stop, as you know it. And that's when I got introduced to, actually, I should say reintroduced to crypto. I knew about it, like, of course, 10, 15 years ago, 10, 12 years ago. That's when I learned about it, but did not really pay much attention all these years. And once I got reintroduced, and learned about the blockchain again, I have to say the engineering juices started flowing in me all over again. It is just such a fundamental seminal piece of work in terms of creating a distributed ledger without any central entity having responsibility and uh, authority over it. It's just an amazing new concept. It's a new primitive that I believe will unleash a whole new set of applications that we can't even imagine can exist in today's world. So if you look back, um, the internet in the 90s, when Sun used to say we are the dot in the dot com, very early days of the internet, we could not have imagined that we would be using the internet to have this call, to be on video conference all the time. And I feel the entire blockchain and the crypto ecosystem is at its very beginning at this point. We are just starting to figure out the first layer of the technology and the second layer to add scalability to, to it, but there is lots to be done. The amount of innovation that is happening in this space is just, uh, I would say, mesmerizing. <laughs> and yeah, that, that drew me to it, Albert, uh, that I, I felt this is uh, a rare opportunity to experience the same arc of internet but in a whole different layer. Like what we are really building, what crypto is, it's uh, the next layer of internet, but this is the internet of value, right? Yeah, and I want you to explain your position on this some more. I remember having a conversation with one of my friends who introduced me to crypto, who eventually, and this was before I was actually an investor in Bitcoin or Ethereum. Those are the only two crypto assets I currently hold, current cryptocurrencies I currently hold. Actually, i not gonna lie, on Coinbase, there's always these like, things where I could get $3 of something, I fill out every single one. I, I just do it. I fill out every single one. I learn about every single one of them. Uh, so I have like $3 or you know about that amount of all these different uh, currencies. But 
the way this person described it to me, and he says, well, the reason why you're having a hard time understanding uh, cryptocurrency and blockchain to begin with is because you think you understand money at all. And I said, what do you mean? He's like, you think you know what money is. And I was like, yeah, I, 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 of course I know what money is. And he says, no, it's, you know you don't. Money's just data. Money's already just data. And I was like, what do you mean? He's like, okay, so mission pays you and they deposit and I'll just tell the banking institutions I use, it's fine. They use Bank of America. Well, Mission's account goes down by a data point and mine goes up by a data point. You buy products with Capital One credit card. Well, they say you owe them. That goes up a data point. And when you pay them, it's literally the bank account of Bank of America moving your data down and Capital One moving that data up. So it's only between two or you know fewer entities, there's fewer entities, but they, they control how much your worth is because you have not actually deposited any physical assets anywhere, it's just data. And they said, well, this data is closed between systems. Manifield is open. And then I was like, that's all blockchain is. It's just an open way of all these ledgers everywhere showing everything. And it's like, that's what it is. And it's like, so they said it's already happening. You just don't know it. It's just, it was just only happening between private parties. Why do you think moving that information out of between just a handful of parties is the key or in your perspective, one of, one of the major keys to, like you said, financial security and freedom around the world? Yeah. So first of all, you're spot on. That's a great way to describe what blockchain is. It is nothing but an open distributed ledger with no central entity having authority or autonomy over it, right? Right. The way it works is, um, I think the real power is that any user, any one of us can participate in the blockchain. We can just have a node, we can propose transactions to it. We don't have to rely on a centralized entity like our bank to give you permission to record a transaction on the blockchain. It just happens in a distributed consensus way, which is pretty darn cool because then it's happening all through math. It is not happening through somebody's permission that you have to take to actually submit a transaction. Yeah. You may believe that you have the permission all the time, but you actually don't. Behind the scenes, there is these entities that are having to essentially give you permission to move funds from point A to point B. But on the blockchain, you can do it on your own. And it's a very distributed way to do it. I remember once trying to pay an invoice and it was like the, on the due date, you know, of course, like a lot of things you pay <laughs> on the due date and like the system was down and I had no way to pay it. Like there was really no way to pay it. And then of course I had to argue for adjustments and fees. And so for anyone who's out there, who's ever trying to withdraw or pay when the system is not accurate, it actually is potentially inconvenient. The perspective I wanted you to share was, what do you think enabling that faster moving transaction, what do you think it's beginning to unlock? I'd love to hear some of the stories that you're seeing putting these use cases to use. So Albert, I think first of all, you're touching upon a very important point that uh, blockchain, the fact that it is distributed, it can't really go down. <laughs> you have like these millions of computers participating in the blockchain. It allows for you to have very high availability. Now, I will admit that the scale is not there yet in terms of number of transactions, and that's where I believe we are only at the layer one of the technology and there is more to be done here. But let, this might be a good point for me to actually walk through and describe how we think about, in general, accelerating the entire crypto economy, right? Yeah. So given our original mission of increasing economic freedom, the three prongs of the strategy that I referred to earlier, they are crypto as an investment, crypto as a new financial system, and crypto as an app platform. So crypto as an investment, if you dig into that, it is the core of our business today, right? It is the first use case 
like as you said, you buy crypto on Coinbase and you hold it. Maybe you transact a little bit. So it's enabling things like buy, sell, hold, trade. I gamble with it. I because uh, it, uh, oh, <laughs> all the casinos accept it. Well, it's true, right? You you said that like some casinos, some uh, banks, they don't want your cash to move to a casino. I don't know why, but. Uh, I, you know, I like sports betting, so, but <laughs> I, I think it's, <laughs> but yeah, continue on. Sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt. No, all good. So uh, in terms of crypto as an investment, we started with a very few assets, but we are continuing to add assets at a breakneck pace at this point, Albert. We have more than hundred assets that you can buy, sell, trade on Coinbase at this point. So that is the fundamental. And currently we have, uh, let's say tens of millions of users who have a Coinbase account who use us on a regular basis. But that is just the beginning. We think we can get to a billion plus, in fact, even multiple billions of users who will be able to use crypto as an investment through Coinbase. So once you have that, the next prong of the strategy is crypto as a new financial system. So this is when new applications start to emerge. Products like borrow, lend, Mm. payments even, direct deposit, earn, payroll, debit card, credit card, P2P payments. So there is so much in terms of uh, financial applications that are yet to be made available. Now, there are many that already exist, and these are really getting innovated at a very fast pace. All of these are essentially what we call as core part of the new financial system, or they are part of the financial system, but these are now being built on the crypto rails. Right? And I didn't even touch upon things like margin and derivatives. So there is lots of advanced primitives that exist on financial 1.0, or the traditional finance as we call it. And all of these are getting migrated and built in the, this finance 2.0 world or the crypto world. And in addition to that, there are many new things that can't even exist in the current world that are made available in this uh, new crypto economy, things like uh, staking. Peer-to-peer lending is one of those things that I saw that. Yeah, peer to, exactly. Yep. Or collateralized peer-to-peer lending, which is something that, so as someone who's opened and started small businesses, getting credit issued to you is actually quite difficult when you first start. It's it's quite, it's crazy. Like, even crazy. if you have money, even if you have money, what's interesting is so like, most people don't know this, but let's say you had a personal liquid net worth of, let's say make $100,000 because you're a small business owner and you're going to start your own small business. Most banks won't give you a personal line of uncollateralized debt of greater than 10%. So they would only loan you 10 grand, Yeah, which is weird. You're worth a hundred. Like, why am I only being loaned 10? And that's like, you'll find that true at many, many banks. But in the world of decentralized finance, which I think is pretty cool is I could potentially, let's say at hundred thousand in cryptocurrency, I could stake the whole thing. I could, I could let anyone choose how much they want to back me. Basically. I think that would be super. That is super, right? Yeah. Yeah, such things are hard to exist in the traditional finance world. And uh, crypto makes it possible because uh, these contracts are essentially code. You don't have to rely on a centralized entity to enable these uh, lending and borrowing primitives. It can all happen through just code and you can trust the code. Yeah. One of the things that I always think about is like, what about remittance payments? Yes. Those things are all going to be, I guess, pre-programmed in the chain that says like, hey, uh, let's say, for example, like we peer-to-peer loan each other 30-year term thing and it's going to be paid monthly. So then every month, my account will just be deprecated by that amount, right? Yeah. The interest can be debited by the appropriate amount just automatically. You don't have to do anything. Yeah. So this is how uh, crypto can become into the new financial system. And I think we are still in the early days of that, but there is lots of uh, innovation happening in, in that space already. 
And the third prong, which is super exciting, Albert, this is what we call crypto as an app platform. What do you mean by that? So we are building a bunch of primitives internally for our own products. What if we expose all of them externally so that people can build like other enterprises and other developers can build amazing applications on top of that? This is where we truly accelerate the crypto ecosystem, right? Because we are taking away the complexity of um, some core primitives that are very security sensitive, for example, and make them available in a very easy to use way for other developers and entities that can just unleash the power of crypto and just accelerate and uh, multiply the speed at which crypto gets adopted. So that's a similar concept to like iTunes and about the Google Play Store is you have a base fundamental yes. layers of code of functions, security all baked in. And then you say, hey, developers, yes, this is how you're going to get permissioning. This is how you're going to do this. What you make up to you. Yes. I mean, I would say that this is a combination of two things. This is um, becoming like an AWS of crypto. Mm -hmm. So where all the primitives are made available to developers to build their applications. On top of that, it is also like a Apple App Store or a Google Play Store where we can have all these applications built by other developers made available to the hundreds of millions of users through our distribution. And that is a very compelling way for developers to build amazing apps and have quick access, very easy access to so many people who are already KYC'd and who are Coinbase users and just tap into that amazing group of, uh, I guess, a huge population of people who already understand crypto and who are willing to participate and are eager to participate in the crypto ecosystem. So I got to ask, when you were being recruited or selecting the, you know, deciding to join Coinbase, which of these projects was most interesting to you? It has to be all of the above, Albert. The way it really resonated with me is um, I actually compared this to early days Google. So I should share one part of my journey. I joined Google when it was tiny. It was just 200 people. Wow. And I saw it grow from where it was at the time to uh, 100,000 plus people in the company, right? And uh, Google has always been about this uh, very long-term vision and mission about democratizing information. I see strong parallels to that in Coinbase. It's a very long-term mission about democratizing finance by building this uh, open financial system and increasing economic freedom. Played a big part in um, not only evolving, but accelerating the adoption of the internet of information. And Coinbase, similarly, at this point, has the opportunity, and I would say responsibility, of evolving and accelerating the adoption of the internet of value. And that I could not say no to. <laughs> <laughs> no, that makes total sense. So give us, a, give our audience and us the an idea, because one of the things that we, a lot of our guests talk about is like the first day on the job, most people say, okay, first thing I do is I got to meet everyone, learn who's on my team and so on. But then it starts like, hey, you start taking on like projects. People typically bucket them into two things. I'd love to hear your perspectives. Like I'm going to, these are the things I want to build. These are the things I need to fix, right? <laughs> it's usually one of those two things. Give us an idea. So you walk in through the doors, day one. I know you don't have doors. It's fully remote company. But day one, you're starting to meet people. 
tell me what are the things that you immediately drew your eyes like hey i want to work on this i want to solve this give us an idea of what you immediately saw and you saw like because there's tons of opportunity tons of greenfield as you suggested but often as is the case with building the future is it comes with a lot of problems like you got to fix some things too give us an idea you're after you meet everybody what were some of the things that became clearly clear that you guys hey like we got to fix this or we got to build this what are some of the projects you immediately tackled so uh Coming in, uh, I was uh, still, I think, um, getting, learning more and more about crypto, right? Because as I said earlier, I had uh, not remained in touch with crypto, but when I walked in, my conviction about crypto just, first of all, continued to grow multifold. There is just so much opportunity in this space. There is so much technical advancement that is happening in this space. Now, crypto is very hard to use still, right? And uh, our job, Coinbase has done a great job in making it simple and simple but there is lots more to be done there. And also, like if you look at all the three prongs of a strategy, lots of work needs to happen in all three of them, including more and more asset addition, adding more financial primitives. So how do you uh, make sure that people who are using Coinbase are able to access a bunch of uh, new primitives that are made available through crypto? But zooming back out, Albert, the biggest thing was that there is, despite this being so much opportunity, one observation I had was, our site was having a hard time keeping up with all the demand. Mm. So that became a huge challenge. If you zoom back out, one of the things that we as a company really care about is trust, right? Because this is a financial services company in some ways, in addition to being a technology company. And trust has been one of our core tenets. And when the site is down, when the markets are volatile, that can hit straight at that core tenet. Yeah. People can start to lose trust. So here's what was happening. In last year in November, December timeframe, when Bitcoin price started to move pretty vigorously, we had site reliability issues. That really accelerated in January timeframe too, when things started to, uh, like the bull run started to hit us really, really hard. So we would see four to five times the normal load that uh, what we would see on a regular day. And we were not prepared for that, Albert. So our site would go down, it would crash. We even had multi-hour outages. So this is when we had to step back and say, you know what, this is so critical. Yes, there is tons of opportunity that we can keep uh, going after. But if we don't have our foundation in place, we will become irrelevant. You have to have the foundation in place so that people can trust us. They can rely on us being available so that people can have access to their money when they need it. Yeah. Like if you think about it, we are talking about becoming the primary financial account for our users in the crypto economy. And being a primary financial account, if you don't have access to that account, when you need it, it is not a great place to be, right? Like you lose trust from users immediately. Right. So what we did is um, we actually uh, had an all hands on deck exercise. And we said, this is so critical. We have to, ignoring all the other priorities and the roadmap that we might have set, we have to solve for this right away. And this is not going to be a quick fix because the traffic is continuing to come at us at breakneck pace. Traffic is like doubling really fast, tripling, even quadrupling pretty fast. So how do we get ahead of it? So what we did is we instituted a very regular load testing framework. We said that we are going to load test our site proactively rather than letting the markets load test for us. <laughs> and and uh, proactively uh, testing on a very regular basis, uh, first once a week, then twice a week, and trying to find out the next choke point and the next choke point and fixing it 
fixing it as if it is happening in the real world, like an incident, and make sure that we continue to remain available and reliable even as the traffic goes multifold. So we set a goal of being able to have 10 times the capacity than what we had when we first started. And it took us a while, but we are there. But in many ways, I would say we are just beginning. There is still so much to be done there because the traffic continues to keep increasing because we are just in so early days of this growth. So when when you are preparing for that, is this meaning you guys are building on public clouds? Are you building your own data structure, infrastructure to do this? Maybe a combination of both. Give us an idea because you're absolutely right. Access is key. Like for, I can imagine for everyone that's trying to put this into perspective, imagine you taking your ATM card, going to a terminal and telling you no service. You go to the next ATM, no service. You go to the next ATM, no service. Well, that's not going to make you very happy. Coinbase is all done digitally and you want to make sure it's up. So what kind of infrastructure does that mean that you have to rely on? Because as you know, AWS, Azure, they've, they've all had their outages too. Like they go down. So I believe this is a multi-cloud setup or I don't know. I'd love for you to share like where some of the things you're attacking. No, absolutely. So today, actually, we are on AWS only. We are actively working on getting into more redundancy so that our applications are built in a way that they can very quickly fail over. And that's my point. Like we are still in the very early days, Albert. Like uh, we have been mm-hmm. fortunate as a company of having seen the amazing growth and being able to build all these amazing products over these years. However, our investment in uh, infrastructure did not really keep up. So um, it's great to see this demand coming in. I would say it's a, it's, it's a crisis that we will not let go waste. Makes total sense. <laughs> yeah, so we did have uh, issues on our site early in the year. And I would say that has made us realize how important it is, how much investment it needs on an ongoing basis to make sure that your site continues to remain available and reliable in the face of very high traffic. So that's one issue that we are currently working on, which is actually get into a multi-region world so that we can uh, quickly adapt to uh, localized failures. Gotcha. What about some of the other things that you were excited to like work on? Because you know I don't want this to be all about the problems because everyone's got problems. So I was checking out Coinbase recently. So what? here's what happened. One, I accidentally locked myself out of my 2FA. Uh, that way it sucked. I, I did not realize. So I use a 2FA authentication application and I had to wipe my phone because my phone had some critical bugs in it because I'm an idiot. I signed up for the developer program. I always want the first release and tinker with it. So it wasn't working with my core apps. I wiped it. I did not realize that authenticator apps, when they wipe, there is no account to log in to transfer. So I lost all my authentications. So I was going to go to Coinbase. The process is pretty easy. You have to in real time take a photo of yourself so that they can say you are who you are so they can reset it for you. Okay, that easy process is easy. But one of the things I noticed is you guys work on tons of products as well. I got Coinbase, Wallet, Earn, Card, Borrow, Prime for businesses, e-commerce. So you guys are working on core products in addition to the main product you got you know developer products cloud connect bison trails i don't know what that means pioneering blockchain infrastructure you guys doing all types of things give me an idea like when you first sat down and saw the breadth of applications where you what were you excited to work on what were you excited to build on because you got you know i know you have to fix those problems totally understand but what were you excited about because like this portfolio of products. I don't understand what all of them do to be straight up. I don't know. Maybe you don't either. <laughs> I do. I do. <laughs> There's a lot of products you guys are working on. So Albert, first I want to say that uh, I wouldn't really think of those things uh, as problems. 
right? I would say uh, reliability is one of the key features. Uh, security is a key feature and so is reliability. That makes sense, yeah. And uh, I would not cast it as a problem. I would say it's an opportunity. It's a very important feature that uh, has to be one of the core tenets of uh, the offerings that we make on top of it. And all the products that you talked about, Albert, you can actually easily classify them in those three buckets that I talked about, which is crypto as an investment, crypto as a new financial system, and crypto as an app platform. I think that is the one thing that I would argue is probably the most exciting going forward too, right? Because we will build all these products, but then really enabling the rest of the world to build applications on top making it easier for them to use it and build applications and giving them a way to easily distribute their application is a very, very exciting domain. So Bison Trails is a company we acquired. They provide some core pieces of the developer infrastructure. And internally, we are using that as a foundation or building upon it so that we can have a full-fledged offering for developers and entities to be able to build applications on top of the primitives that we provide. So when you first sat down and learned about this portfolio products, did you were you overwhelmed? Were you excited? What, give us an idea of what you were thinking when you was like, oh, by the way, we're more than what you thought we were. I'm sure that I'm sure at some point you you lifted up the hood and you're like, wow, what is all this? I knew it before I joined, but I really felt like a kid in the candy shop. And uh, more recently, I don't know if you have read this uh, blog post that Brian posted, which is about embracing decentralization. That has been very, very exciting. So uh, I, I can give you a little bit of rundown of that if you're up for it. Yeah. Okay. We have historically been a company that um, has mostly lent into or uh, leaned into products that are kind of centralized finance and we call them CFI, right? So for example, we have an exchange, which uh, we run a centralized exchange. It's uh, So Uniswap, for example, is a decentralized exchange and we have our own centralized exchange as an example. However, what we realize is that there is tremendous amount of innovation happening when the applications themselves are built on the blockchain. So this is where DeFi comes into play, what you initially call decentralized finance. So we did some introspection a few months ago, and we said we are going to embrace decentralization even further. And there are many aspects of this. One is, of course, decentralization of the workforce. You know, there is decentralization of the product and there is a decentralization even in terms of building products on the blockchain itself. The blog post that Brian posted, the key things to call out from that is that we definitely want to bring more and more assets to the user so that users can have access to everything that decentralized finance has to offer. The second is we want to truly get to international first as well which is uh, not just focus on US and be the US be the only place or the first place where we launch products, but truly get into a mindset of international first. So that truly unleashes the power of uh, like decentralized finance to begin with, right? If you think about it, when you actually go completely global, like you don't have to limit and go country by country. And the third is very interesting. So until now, um, we have been working in a way where you have a Coinbase hides some of the complexity in terms of the blockchain interactions. So you, when you buy and sell tokens on the Coinbase product, you don't have access to your direct wallet because you don't have one. We internally use a notion of a pooled wallet where all the wallets from users are pooled into a concept called a pool of funds and a pooled wallet. Now, what 
that does is it does allow for a very 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 simple easy to use experience for the consumer it almost provides like a centralized finance like a bank of america or a wells fargo like experience but it takes you away one step further from being able to directly access what is happening on the blockchain mm. so to remedy that okay so what is the impact of that the impact of that is that whenever there are some new products being built purely on the blockchain we have to build translation layers to make that available to the users and that creates a lag that creates explicit prioritization it creates a lag so that's how we have been operating and that means that we cannot deliver on one of the core promises which is we want to make possible for all users to be able to access what the decentralized finance has to offer so we are we are working on a way where um, users can have access to the latest and the greatest on the blockchain through coinbase and this is where uh, decentralization and uh, like a concept of a segregated wallet not pooled wallet comes into play where you as a user have access to a wallet which by the way we have a separate product called coinbase wallet which actually does that yeah <laughs> right how do you make that capability available in the primary app in a way that you can access everything that is that the defi ecosystem has to offer still having a reasonably simple ux all through coinbase itself well i don't know <laughs> right so that so that is so that is the challenge no it makes sense that's a challenge and that's what we want to work, work on it's a very hard problem albert so it's a hard problem because it comes at the cost of having a complicated ux this is where we are actively working on to make sure that we actually provide the right balance between providing access to the latest and greatest while also keeping the ux as simple as possible so that the users can continue to feel confident that they can trust what coinbase is providing from your experience where where do you sit on i guess you know when the different engineers typically have different like strengths or preferences from your side do you what do you like most do you love the back end infrastructure setup so that the, you know this wallet can be part of blockchain do you like solving the ux visual problems where it's like hey how do we make this so it's basically dummy proof right like when i consider ux i would consider dummy proof like how do you make it so that my mom can get a coinbase account no problem set up her wallet and know what she's doing within you know a few clicks and a few few minutes where where do you like to lean your energy towards yeah so uh, now they're all very important aspects but if uh, personally i think i'll gravitate more towards building the systems and enabling a bunch of other companies and developers to be able to build applications on top so essentially one way to say that would be building the core services in a highly reliable scalable way to enable the applications to be built with the ease of use uh, on top makes total sense and you know with with coinbase with so many products and when things that you're working on give us an idea of how many i guess projects do you oversee like are you overseeing each of the individual product teams of each individual coinbase product as well as greenfield products plus infrastructure do you have like a specific group that you work with? Give us an idea of what your daily responsibility is. Yeah, so uh, we are a functional company and uh, all of the engineering reports to me. So by virtue of that, you get it all. <laughs> I end up overseeing everything. Now the reality is that we have a great team and an amazing set of leaders who we rely on to ensure that they are the single threaded leaders of the domains and the projects that they are working on and we are primarily 
for escalations or any uh, breaking of any ties that might come up. But in reality, it's such an exciting space that we, like both me and my counterpart, who is the product lead, we end up digging in into the details because it is just such a fascinating space. That's what I was getting at is because engineers notoriously, from everyone I've worked with and guests that we shit on our show, let's say, for example, a product team has a problem. It doesn't matter what it is. They, they come to the EVP of engineering and say, hey, we need to help come up with a solution. Almost inevitably, people start digging in. Yeah. They dig in. It's not just a culture fix. Like, oh, well, if I motivate you, you'll fix it. It's like, no, I will help you fix this. So do you still actively dive into the like problems at the code level? 100%. Just over the weekend, actually, I was debugging an issue where we were unable to run our uh, automated tests, trying to really debug with the engineers what's really going on there and calling vendors and getting more capacity on the machines and getting it going. Absolutely. I love those uh, debugging sessions with the engineers. So that's you hinted at another thing. The unique nature of Coinbase global finance is it's 24-7. It has no days off. You'll never have a day off, which means you have to staff accordingly. I mean, I guess that's very similar at Lyft because Lyft is, isn't always on, but it, it does feel like to me there's like less demand at night. But give us an idea. What does it take? Do you prefer to just hire by time shift? Do you hire by time zone? Like make sure people are in different parts of the world so they can have a normal working day to make sure you have 24-7 coverage? Because this is a major, like you said, this is a major requirement for banking and finance. You said it earlier, access, security equals trust. If you don't have access, you don't, no one's going to trust you and your money. So people, you never know when someone needs their money. It doesn't matter. Like you, you service globally. So it has to always be available. How do you prepare for that? Is it by time zone staffing, shift staffing? How do you do it? Yeah. So you're right. We can't go down, right? The way we operate until now, uh, we have been like, I would say a few months ago, we were primarily in the U.S., and uh, with an outpost in the EMEA region in UK mm -hmm. and in uh, Dublin. Beyond that, we were not really distributed. So what happened is as part of COVID, we obviously went uh, remote first. Yep. And that opened our eyes on how much we can actually leverage remote first even further. right? And the recognition is that talent is everywhere. People don't need to move for opportunities anymore. In fact, decentralization workforce is very true and in line with the ethos of the company. Yeah. Right? So we started hiring uh, in more countries. And uh, we actually had a blog post about this where we actually made a big deal about hiring in India. And there is very aggressive plans to hire in India. There is just amazing amounts of talent there. We are doubling down in a big way to hire in the APAC region. But zooming back out, uh, Albert, let me answer your question in terms of how we think about the overall distribution of the workforce. So you're totally spot on. We look at it as a time zone based uh, distribution. We call a set of time zones a region. And essentially we have only three regions right now that we operate in. And these are Americas, EMEA and APAC, which pretty much covers the entire globe. So in Americas, uh, you can have uh, like all the way from the West Coast to the East Coast, and of course, including South America as well. You can uh, have a team, like a part, a small part of engineers even distributed all the way from the like Northern America, from Canada to the Southern tip of LATAM, right? And they can all be on the same team. It enables like us being able to tap into very diverse talent and actually every team being very diverse as a result of this, which is pretty darn cool, which was very hard to do when you had to have a team yeah. located in a particular city so that they could meet in person. No more. Yeah. So that's huge. Do you have team members that are from 
let's say, less stable governments because their perspectives on what solutions need to be there might be a little different because I was in, so I was actually in El Salvador the day the prime minister announced that they were going to a Bitcoin standard, which for anyone who out there who doesn't know, El Salvador had long actually pegged the United States dollar as its own currency. But basically, El Salvador does not have its own currency. It was pegged to the US dollar. They weren't in control of monetary policy in the United States. So they were like, it doesn't really make sense to be pegged to a currency we don't control. We're pegging ourselves to Bitcoin. And that announcement goes out. It was on every TV station down there. And then shortly thereafter, of course, it's begun. The process has begun. But I, I got to imagine engineers from different countries with uh, maybe, you know, depending on who you talk to, they'll say the United States is not a stable financial system. But like their perspectives are a lot different because they are more susceptible to the currency rate changes, basically, yeah. from different governments. I didn't know if that had an impact on different perspectives and ideas going into the product. Well, they totally do. There's some great talent on our team from uh, countries where they have uh, not had financial stability. And even while hiring, I have noticed that in when I'm talking to candidates from uh, countries who have experienced lack of financial stability, they just gravitated much quicker to this entire space on what value it can bring. It just taps into an inter, like an inner passion. It's just amazing, right? And I think that kind of energy on the team really helps a lot too. So totally, 100% agreed. That's awesome. Manish, I want to say thank you for joining us today so far on IT Visionaries and sharing some of the things you guys are working on at Coinbase. But before you go, we have our final segment, and that is the lightning round. The lightning round is brought to you by Salesforce Platform, the number one cloud platform for digital transformation of every experience. Manish, this is where we ask you questions not related to work so our audience can get to know you a little bit better. You ready? Let's do it. All right. Have you ever bought something with crypto? Yes. Would you buy? NFT. <laughs> Have you bought a physical item? Have you ever bought an actual physical item with crypto? Not yet. What needs to, ch now I'm getting back into work. Some, we do our best to, ch to not talk about work, but it, it does loop back in sometimes. What do you think needs to change for people to start exchanging? Because that's one of the things we notice is people don't buy physical things. They definitely buy digital things in services. People pay for services, but not quite things yet. Like they want to buy a, a cell phone. When do you think that will start happening? I think it will start happening as more and more merchants start to accept um, crypto payments because uh, that will enable people who are in the crypto world, who, are, who have migrated to the crypto economy to be able to use their dollars or use their Bitcoin or tokens more effectively. So this is where I think Coinbase can also play a big role, right? It can actually enable the merchants out there to very easily start accepting crypto. And that's actually one of our projects. There you go. Now let's get back outside of work. Okay. So you went to school at University of Illinois. What made you choose to go to school there? One of the top schools. Super excited about the research there. Oh, I was I was hoping you were just I just wanted to follow footsteps of Mark Andreessen. <laughs> <laughs> that too, that too, actually. Yes, Mozilla. Absolutely. I would say AI. It's uh, very highly recognized in AI. And my master's, my bachelor's thesis was on AI. So it was a pretty natural fit. There you go. What was your first thought process when you came over and, and started attending school there? It's cold. <laughs> but it's going to be cold. <laughs> I was not prepared for it. No doubt about it. Significantly colder. We did a little homework. We found out you were you grew up in Mumbai. Is that accurate? That is correct. I mean, Mumbai, I know it's hot there <laughs> compared to Illinois. Tell us something that people may not know about Mumbai. That people may not know about Mumbai. Or a fun little silly factoid about that city. It is like a... I would say it's like New York of uh, India. And um, 
coming to New York, uh, when I visited New York, it felt like, wow, this is like, like Mumbai. <laughs> so uh, I, know, I hope people can resonate with that, but it's a, it's an amazing, very, very um, delightful, very charming city. And it's uh, very active all the time. It doesn't sleep. Maybe that's one thing I should say. It's a city that never sleeps. Yeah. I've only visited India one time. And that was the one thing that I was definitely taken aback by because I, prior to going to an Indian city or Chinese city, you think you understand what a big city is coming north. Like if you visit New York, but then you go to a place like this and you're like, dude, there are so many more people here. It's like, it's unbelievable. Yes. There's so many more people in such a dense space too, right? So it's very dense. Yeah, exactly. There's like no space on the road for anything. Are you a big traveler? Do you travel the world much? Yes, absolutely. We have been traveling a lot. So uh, we started traveling internationally around uh, 15 years ago and uh, I have two kids. So my son, who is only 14 now, he has been to 50 countries already. That's impressive. So we have traveled a ton. What is some of the most unique or fun places that you've been? We loved uh, Morocco, Peru, and the most unique ones, I would say, Antarctica. You've been to Antarctica? We've been to Antarctica, yes. And the Galapagos Islands, highly, highly recommended. Okay, those are very different places. All the ones you just named. All of them. Antarctica, I'm zeroing in on because I I have a fascinating question about it. I th- well, I find fascinating. How long did you stay in Antarctica? So we went on the ship. We were there for like around 12 days, I think, overall. You were walking on the ice and stuff? Yes, absolutely. We definitely actually landed. We went on the ice. <laughs> walking amongst penguins. It was, it was just amazing. Very surreal feeling. How much gear do you have to wear to walk on the ice in Antarctica? Many layers. <laughs> Many, many years. More than what we had to wear in Urbana Champagne. Absolutely. <laughs> no, no doubt about that. Manish, thanks for joining us today on IT Visionaries. Thanks for sharing a little bit about what you're doing at Coinbase. And if you want, you know, feel free to experiment depositing some crypto into my wallet. I'll send you my wallet right after this call. You know, whenever you want to just put a couple coins in, just be like, hey, I want to see if this works. You know, I'm, I'm willing to be the test guinea pig. You know, it was a lot of fun having you here. And this is certainly one of the more exciting companies and spaces that is happening right now. It's hard to imagine what financial freedom looks like. It's hard for me when I first heard about crypto to understand more freedom than what I already have, understand stabilization. I feel pretty secure in North America. I did recently meet a Ukrainian person who told me about how like at one point the banks just shut down and they just basically took the money, the people that had access to it. And I I was thinking to myself, man, could that happen in the United States? Would it happen in the United States? That's the whole, I guess, promise of the blockchain is like this is not even a threat. It shouldn't even be a concern anymore if this becomes more widely adopted. Yeah, thanks for having me, Albert. And I'll say people who are sitting on the edge and just watching this happen and not have not dug into crypto, they should definitely learn more about what's going on there. It is a fascinating space. There you go. I'm fascinated. I Like I said, I'm a noob. I know almost nothing, but I do know that I'm trusting the smartest people in the room. I'm trusting people like Manish to take care of me. I am on a recurring deposit for Bitcoin. Someone asked me once, like, what are you going to do with this? Like, I don't really know, but I feel like I should have some. <laughs> yes, that's the way to do it. <laughs> Thank you for joining us today on IT Visionaries. Thank you, Albert. It was a pleasure.